is the Freedom's Call podcast, and now here's your host, Brett Sterling. All Freedom's Call viewers uh, and listeners, as promised, we have Representative Bill Owen from Missouri's 131st District uh, here with us. We're going to talk a little bit of the ESG uh, environmental social governance model that is uh, affecting all aspects of the banking industry and the financial industry. And uh, now, Bill, you have Bill. Bill's here as an expert witness. Uh, have, has a very extensive uh, background in the banking industry. Uh, can you desc- describe, you know, briefly here, Bill, your uh, your uh, your background? Be happy to. I spent 40, 40 years in the banking business with three banking organizations. Uh, of that forty years, thirty four of it with two community banks, and then six years with a regional bank holding company. Uh, with both the community banks I was with, I served on the board of both. I served on their uh, asset liability management uh, at one of the banks. I was the chief lending officer. So I've, I've got a fairly broad-based background in the banking industry. We'll start off kind of just like a, a brief definition of ESG. And this is, uh, this is kind of a happy talk. Uh, so, um, you know, we most of this stuff always sounds, you know, sounds good until you start getting into the uh, into the details. So ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And according the definition, according to a website, ESG Enterprise, is it is a concept used by investors in capital markets to measure the sustainability and ethical impact of an investment in a company. Now. Bill, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, traditionally, a, a, a bank or investment firm would would analyze a company's balance sheet and their product portfolio and different market factors to determine their ability to generate earnings going forward, and then evaluate whether they're a good investment or uh, credit risk. Now, with your with your background in the banking sector, how does ESG change the way a bank evaluates a potential lender? Well, see that we're, we're all of a sudden th- would be throwing in a whole nother set of standards. Uh, as, as you pointed out, I mean, today, uh, th- the only initial prohibition is, is it a legal enterprise? Uh, and does it fit within the guidelines? And then, then we go into exactly what you talked about. You know, we look at past performance. We look, we look at certain, you know, standards. We make sure that, 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 uh, that we're not discriminating in anything that we do, but 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 everything is 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 can be considered as long as it's legal, and and it and, and it doesn't violate, you know, uh, uh, those those certain standards that traditionally banks have always used as their as their standard for for who they'll loan to and under what conditions. Gotcha. Now some of the, some of the factors I wanted to maybe hit, hit a couple of these factors that, that ESG um, evaluates companies and some of these decision factors, like for the environmental part, uh, it, and this again from, for, is from the ESG uh, website, a company's impact on the environment and compliance with cl- a climate agenda, climate change policies, carbon footprint, use of wind and solar power, relationship with regulatory bodies. Now, again, that that seems, you know, numbers don't lie. They're pretty cut and dry. But 
these factors here seem pretty uh, pretty subjective to me and are open for interpretation. How 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 exactly uh, you know specifically how's that affecting the loan the loan process whenever they go through and how are they evaluate how are, how are these factors used in evaluating uh, a loan or investment? Well, well, fortunately to this point, they haven't yet. That's where they think I think that they're going. That's where a lot of people think that they're going. And 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 our our goal is to put an end to this because they get a hold of the credit decision making process. Checkmate. You've got I've got an example last week. I was reading where the Bank of Australia has announced now they will not finance any new combustion engine vehicles starting in 2025, that for the foreseeable future, they'll still loan on used combustion engine vehicles. But, but in 2025, uh, it, they will not finance a, a single vehicle that's a combustion engine. And, and this is where I'm afraid we're headed if we don't, if we don't put an end to this. And so, so that's three years. So is yeah. that that they won't, like if, if, if I go and I buy a car and I go to the bank and say, I want to have, I want to have a loan to, to purchase this car. Mm -hmm. If it's gas powered, they won't loan to me after 2025. That's correct. That's correct. Or diesel powered gas or diesel powered. They will not lend. Uh, if you go to a dealership and they've still got some gas combustion engine, new cars, and you go to bank of Australia, they'll say, Nope, we don't, we won't finance that car for you. We don't do that anymore because it's a combustion engine. You better go get an EV. Wow. So, so that not only affects the personal credit market with a private individual going to get, going to get a loan that completely upends the whole entire economy because that affects the, the, produ the producer of the, of the car, of the gas powered car, all the components that go into that. I mean, that, that just completely, I mean, that completely just destroys that entire part of the economy. Well, that's, that's what I mean by it's checkmate. Uh, wow. and, and that's what they're trying to get to, uh, where they totally have total control of the whole process. And they, they have us to where we have to, you know, kind of kowtow to their wokeism uh, for us to get what we want. Wow. Well, and, and you're not, I mean, you're not talking about North Korea or China, a planned economy. You're talking about a relatively free free country like Australia. Yes. I mean that's a that's a yes. that's a modern a modern free uh, I mean it's a uh, country. Well the credit piece is part of it with the banks. The other piece is for the larger banks most of them are publicly traded. And so you've got large investment houses that are going to them and saying, you know, we want to look at your loan portfolio and based on the mix of your loan portfolio, we, we're going to determine whether you are uh, compliant enough under ESG guidelines for us to stay invested. Otherwise, we are going to sell all your stock that we hold, which could, if there's a big sell-off, obviously that would drive the stock price down. So senior management is concerned about that angle too. 
Wow. Well, and I, and I know I think the I think the big three players in this that are really kind of pushing this are uh, are Vanguard, BlackRock, and and State Street. And you know these aren't small companies. They they control over they have over twenty trillion dollars of managed assets. So whenever they're going to these companies like you were talking about or these banks, and in 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 examining making sure that their portfolio matches these different metrics these esg metrics i mean that, that really i mean that, that could potentially cripple the whole entire credit market right there absolutely absolutely that is just insane let's take a look at a couple of these other um you look at the uh like the so like the social factors uh, social factors that that are that they that are evaluated is Basically, how does a company treat its employees and its community? And I would say that the community is probably, you know, what types of groups that they uh, that they um, you know that they uh, that they align with and, and benefit. Right. Also, employee diversity, you know, working conditions, social justice, uh, governance factors like um, executive compensation public lobbying. And we saw a little bit of that with the Disney corporation this year that hasn't worked mm -hmm. out too well for them, the diversity of the board. So you see a lot of these common terms. We've, we've talked about diversity, equity, inclusion on our show before. And so this is basically, I mean, is this bringing DEI into, um, in, into the, um, I mean, it's already in the boardrooms, but yeah. this is bringing it in, into the banking sector and the and the financial sector full bore, is it not? Well, it, it really puts a gun to the head of senior management. Uh, nobody wants to be at the helm when your stock price tanks. And so that forces them to try and play the game. And different organizations, uh, some of them kind of tiptoe around with their language. They don't really get into metrics. Now, the very big money center banks, I mean, they pretty much had to kowtow, uh, and, and you see that uh, in, in those. But, 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 but the larger regional banks and that, down to even some of the uh, community banks, they'll, they'll give the, uh, the, the social piece uh, because really, you know, they already have to and have for many years had to fall under what's called the Community Reinvestment Act. It's called CRA. And so what I've seen from a lot of, of smaller banks is they just kind of take their CRA policy and just kind of embellish it a little and, 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 you know, see if that maybe gets them by. And I think for the most part, I haven't gotten a sense that, that we've had too many that, that have been pressured. I, I think, I think we're still playing with, with big boys right now. We haven't really worked our way down towards community banks, but, uh, but, but of course that's the fear is that that's where, that's where we end up. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, government doesn't know where to stop. They just stop when everything's gone. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty much the case. Now you mentioned the community reinvestment act. And I remember the CRA, that was one of the things that um, was really pushed in the Clinton administration with looking at um, examining a, a bank's lending portfolio to make sure that they had a certain amount of mortgages that were that were held in their portfolio from minority communities and inner city communities and then 
that was that was already held over the head of some of these banks of of approving their charters to open up branch locations uh, in where they wanted to expand. Uh, they had to meet those metrics. Now, is that is that, is that am I remember, remembering that correctly? Well, you basically the starting point is you 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 spell out in your policy what is your market area, your primary market area, uh, and then you've got to show that you are. Uh, lending into that area. And then to pace, depending on the size of your institution, uh, depends on the sophisticated level of, of, of documentation of those type things. If you're just a small community bank, you know, a pin map, you know, will, will probably suffice. But then as you get larger, you've got to get a little more detailed in your metrics and what have you. But, but yeah, for the most part, that's kind of it. And, and then, you know, what we're seeing today is people then are taking that and then trying to talk about, well, what we do as far as inclusion and that type of thing without really getting into detail and sure keeping it out of, at this point, uh, the credit decision-making process. Okay. Now, um, is how, how is this affecting, is this affecting local banks? You mentioned the larger banks, you know, I'm, I'm assuming like, you know, Chase and Bank of America and, and, JP Morgan. Now, is, is this Wells Fargo? Is, is this getting into, uh, you know, how's this affecting Missourians right now? Well, I mean, you know, in, in some of the larger cities, you have some of the larger banks, and so you would have it there. But I mean, there's enough regional and community banks uh, throughout the state that, that uh, really, to my knowledge of the, of the community banks, I've only seen two where I found policies that would that would indicate they were trying to follow an ES in, in their policies. Uh, but there's a lot of talk. As I mentioned to you all before we started this, I was at a meeting with some bank executives yesterday. Uh, and and it's, it's right at the top of their agenda, concerned about this, uh, afraid that it's gonna fall down to them because what's gonna happen the, the way this is going to play out if it gets down into the community bank and the credit aspect is they'll have a bank exam. And, and if, if, if these bank examiners have been told to include this in their report, uh, and if the report comes back poorly, uh, th then you could be looking at agency actions where the, where the regulators put a real clamp on your ability to run your own bank. And, and really put in stringent guidelines uh, on how you can lend and who you can lend to and, and what review process you might have to go through with the regulators before you can approve a loan. I mean, basically the, the regulators would be running your bank. And, and that's, that's the piece that scares them the most. And, and probably what would happen is they'd be classified loans. Uh, they would be told that they have to move so much out of loan loss reserve uh, out of uh, out of capital into loan loss reserve to offset the risk of having these questions that are they don't follow ESG policy and, and that's that's the other angle you know you got you got the big banks dealing with with being divested by the by the big investment houses and then the community banks getting it from the standpoint of, of bank exams and and the potential for regulatory action that would really tie their hands on how they can operate their banks. 
Wow. Wow. I mean, that, that's just, yeah, it's just, that's just incredible. Um, you, you, you mentioned that you had, had, uh, I think you had a, a recent meeting with, um, Blaine Lukenmeyer and some, um, Jason Smith, some, some, uh, congressional representatives here, the, the congressional delegate delegation here in Missouri. Are there, are there any details as far as, uh, that you can share and what, and what kind of action um, that, that they're taking and that you're taking as a legislator right now? Well, I, I think right now we're in the process of trying to evaluate where we need to go with this. Uh, we got some great information yesterday from Congressman Luke Meyer. Uh, in case your, your uh, viewers aren't as familiar with Blaine, Blaine's family owned a bank until recently and, and sold it. He grew up in the banking industry when he graduated from college for a couple of years. He was a bank examiner. Then he ran the insurance agency within their bank. I mean, he, this, he is about the best expert in Congress uh, on the House side as far as uh, banking uh, and community banking in particular. So uh, it's been great to develop this relationship. He, uh, Representative Terry Thompson, who also, uh, like myself, was a four banker, and then we've got a bond trader, 30-year bond trader, and in, in Representative Michael o O'Donnell. So it isn't very often we have that much experience in the financial services industry in the Missouri House as we do right now. And so that's why we've been working with him uh, to try and develop a strategy on where, where we go. And, uh, uh, you know, I've got some ideas. I, I hate to say too much right now, I, but but I think we're going to have to go at them uh, where it where it hurts, and I think I think uh, Treasurer Fitzpatrick has kind of uh, kind of started that charge uh, in uh, threatening J.P. Morgan uh, when one of their uh, entities uh, decided to stop uh, doing payments for a uh, for a seminar that was going to feature a Candace Owens and and uh, Senator Roy Blunt, uh, so. Uh, he just basically said, well, you know, you this kind of thing, you're not going to do any business in the state of Missouri. Well, that got him to back off. And that's what it's going to take. We've got to hit him in the pocketbook. And and I'm, and, and we've got an example right now where uh, you know, West Virginia, which, you know, is an energy state and big coal, uh, as, as well as some, you know, natural gas. Uh, th this would absolutely shut their state down if if this got into play. And so they basically passed legislation basically saying if you have policies in your business that prevent you from uh, uh, financing or being involved with uh, certain industries like banking, like firearms, like energy, uh, then, then you can't do business in our state. And 17 other states now have signed on with them uh, and passed similar mm -hmm. type legislation. And so we just got to keep adding to that number and making it such a big number that uh, these 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 companies that are trying to push this ESG will suffer greatly if they try and continue to force that upon us. So that that in a in a in a larger picture is is kind of where we're headed. The specifics of it we're, we're still trying to work out, but but suffice it to say, I, I'm not sure this isn't going to be the the, the battle. Of, of the next 10 years that that is going to determine whether we stay you know a free market society or not 
Well, that's, I mean, that's outstanding. Just, just hearing that, um, that you're willing to take the gloves off and, and have that fight and, and put, and push back against that, against this is really, is really key. You mentioned the, the seminar with Candace Owens. I believe that Don, Donald Trump Jr., uh, former Senator Paul Kurtman was putting together a, uh, uh, an event in St. Louis last year. And that, uh, I think that was going through, I think Chase might've been administrating that uh, payment system and they shut that down and they end up having to push that back. Then you think about how uh, with the Canadian Freedom Convoy, they set up a GoFundMe page. Yep. And so you had all these, I mean, millions of dollars of donations flowed into that GoFundMe page. And then the Canadian government just shut that off and said, oh, basically we don't approve this money going from the people who the getting to the organization, the people who donated the money wanted it to go to. So we're going to funnel this to a different, to a, to a different charity, a different entity. So, you know, this, this is happening and in, in, you see how, how easily people, uh, how easily governments can step in with their strong arm and, basically subvert this whole entire financial process and really affect our financial lives. Uh, you, you mentioned also, I mean, there, there are, there are companies and there are banks that have refused to process payments. If you're buying firearms, uh, like you had mentioned, I mean, so you look at this as a backdrop of how the FBI has been weaponized and the department of justice has been weaponized and this really doesn't bode well for the individual unless our legislators, our elected representatives, and we, the people, we push back against that. Um, you are there, are there are there any ways that um, you know that that an, that an individual can have an impact here? I know it's you're they're going after the big banks right now, but what? What what should an individual be doing as far to get themselves educated on these issues and any kind of action that that we can take? I think the most immediate thing that that your viewers can do is to help make sure we have Republican majorities in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, because then they will have control. They will be able to dictate purse strings. They will also have investigative powers uh, and they can start going after this. We've got to have at least one. It would be great if we could get both chambers. But if we don't get one chamber, uh, man, this is it's, it, it's just going to get worse. I mean, we, we've got to at least get one chamber of, com of Congress. Uh, and then, th then they can start pushing back up there while we're trying to push at the, at the state level. Well, I would, I would agree with you there. And I know that just, um, you know, I've, I've been sharing with our with our grassroots that you know this this predicted web, red wave is coming. Um, you know, hopefully it gets here. It's up to us to make sure that that happens and to get out and vote and make sure that happens. But it's also what I what I'm picking up from our from our grassroots is there's not a lot of patience uh, out here in the uh, in in the in the land. Uh, we we've seen. You know the Tea Party Revolution, and we've seen uh, you know wave wave elections in 2010, and 
not a lot of action uh, from our elected representatives. So I know that there's a, I guess if there's a, if there's a message that you can pa pass on, because I know that you're deeply involved in this, I know where your heart is. And so, I, I mean, I really appreciate that you, that you're fighting for the 131st and for Missourians, but you know, when you, when you get into some of these uh, higher level uh, conversations with uh, with members of Congress, um, they probably need to know that we're looking. The people are looking for action, and we need to put some points on the board. We're tired of playing defense. We need to take the fight to them, and we need to go on offense. And I think, you know, that's that's something. I guess coming coming from a grassroots guy, that's that's a that's a message that I'd like to pass on up the chain. Well, and and you know, you're making a valid point, but. You know, they're going to have the presidency for two more years. So, again, where we're talking about hitting back at the players that that the woke establishment is using, such as these investment houses, uh, those are people we can go after and, and cause some pain uh, with the efforts that we're trying to make at the state level and hopefully from an uh, from a uh, investigatory standpoint at the congressional level uh, and try and hold the fort until we can get the presidency in two years because we, we just had a sea change in in the attitude of some of these these depart federal departments from uh, what was being uh, dictated from the Trump administration to the Biden administration you know the Trump administration was telling the regulators you know we strictly want you to have these lending institutions make credit decisions solely based on credit worthiness. And boy, as soon as Biden gets in, it changes and it's okay, we're gonna start taking ESG into consideration. So, you know, we won't be able to change. I mean, if we can, if we can get the House or the Senate and get, you know, some powers to kind of push back, bring them in in front, put the, put the spotlight on them, uh, we, can, we, can hold, we can hold the fort until the cavalry gets in and we elected a Republican president in two years. But it, it's, it's going to be, it's just going to be guerrilla war, warfare until 24. And, and, and people got to have a little patience, but, but that's how bad the situation is. And, you know, we, I think we're mustering the troops to try and at least hold the fort, but we're not going to totally get to where we want to be until we get the White House and clear out these agencies and change their policies and get back to running business the way it's supposed to be run. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you there, and you know, hopefully, you know, just you know, all the all appropriations bills begin in the House, and so yep. you know, that that would be a that would be a good thing to 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 uh, cut some of the funding to these agencies that some that are acting so rogue, like you know, like you're looking at the at the at the banking agencies, you look at the you know potentially you know the FBI, the DOJ, and just you know, IRS and, and rolling back some of, you know, some of this, uh, just, just pushing back on some of this, you know, just like what you have and what, uh, you know, Treasurer Scott Fitzpatrick has, Attorney General uh, Eric Schmidt has as well with challenging some of these rating companies and some of these, some of these banks. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to, like to, like to share with our audience as far as, um, you know, along this topic and, and and maybe some other things that I might have left out? You know, I, I think uh, in a broad sense, we have kind of covered, 
you know, all the touched all the different bases. I mean, we could go on and on and talk about situations and examples and, and, and get into a lot of detail, but, but, you know, it, I don't want to put your, put your viewers to sleep. So no, I, I think we've really ran in a, in a, in a, in a, in a pretty good way. I think we've, we've given a broad brush, uh, idea of where things stand today and where we need to go forward. And I hope probably in the not too distant future, I'm waiting on the legislation that was passed in West Virginia and uh, Terry Thompson and I are going to look at that and, and, and hopefully try and have a bill ready to go for the next legislative session in January that, that makes us the 18th state that, that says, you know, you, you pull that stuff in Missouri, you won't do business in Missouri and hit them in the pocket. Well, 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 that that's good, and 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 thank and thank you again for for leading the fight on this, uh, Representative Owen. And I really really appreciate you being here and and sharing with our sharing with our audience your expertise and getting them up to speed on something that tends to be kind of a complicated matter. matter. And um, uh, look look forward to keeping you keeping us in uh, you know up to date on further on further developments. Brad, I always enjoy our visits and, and thank you for what you do for the cause. Well, well thank, thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate it. And, and uh, thank, thank you for being on Freedom's Call. All right. Well, cool. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to record a couple other, a couple other things here on, on this part, but yeah, well, that, that was great. I mean, I, I really yeah. thank you for, thank you for sharing. That was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 and, and I probably should have used, I used this example yesterday. I said, guys, it's, it's like you pull up a board, you, you think you see some, some termites and you pull up a board and like, oh my God, I got termites here. I hope this is it. And you keep pulling up boards and you keep finding more termites and you're like, oh my God, I didn't realize it was eating up my whole house. And, and that's kind of like this. I mean, it's just all of a sudden we're now starting to really realize how much they have gotten in the door on some of this stuff. And how we've just reached a point, it's like, I mean, this, we, we've just got to push back. We can't play nice anymore. Yeah, no, no, really can't. I, I, I would agree with you. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us here on Freedom's Call. I uh, appreciate you being here for another episode. Uh, as always, if you want to, I'm, well, I'm your host, uh, Brett Sterling. And uh, we have a special guest coming up here a little bit later on the show. We're going to talk about a little environment, uh, social governance metrics, ESG uh, policy, and how that is affecting uh, banking and lending in the financial sector and every aspect of the economy, as you'll see, I believe. Um, as always, if you would like to interact with the show, uh, comment, um, compliment, comment, complain, suggest a topic that you want to have more discussion on or, is, or want to see discussed, please email us at freedomscall.net at gmail.com. Also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play Store, um, your favorite alternative um, podcast platform uh, that I cannot remember uh, those names here right now. Uh, also, check out our Facebook page, Freedom's Call, our YouTube channel, Freedom's Call. Uh, really inventive with our names here, so we try to keep it nice and nice and simple so I can follow along. And then also go to freedomscall.net, our webpage, to where we share information that we cover here on the podcast and also other information of interest that we just don't have time for. 
and other nuggets that to keep you informed and keep you help you be a self-governing informed um, citizen. So uh, before we hop in uh, with our interview here with uh, Representative Owen, I uh, wanted to describe just a little bit about with uh, with ESG and exactly what it is and uh, want to read very, and we'll have this posted up. This is a brief article, something that's got me story time, but this was in Epic Times and this was a an article or excuse me, uh, an interview with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who was co-founder of Strive. And this was at an interview uh, in March in Orlando, Florida. And the, 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 the title of the article is ESG poses biggest threat to capitalism and democracy in America. And so I just want to briefly go through this. It is a short article. The push toward environmental, social, and governance ESG standards in the private sector is, quote, the great, the single greatest threat to both democracy and capitalism in the United States, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy said. Agendas that the government cannot directly achieve via the Constitution are pushed through the ESG movement in the private sector, he said. And I'll just add that many of these things, I would say 95% at least, of these uh, of this agenda that they want to push through is completely unconstitutional. Well, first of all, probably 100% of it because the, the the federal government does not have any role in dictating what the private sector, you know, the 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 finan- the uh, free market, and uh, the private sector. So back to the article, the ESG movement is gaining power through quote the aggregation of capital into the hands of a small number of investment firms, with the three biggest players being Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street. Combined, these three firms manage over $22 trillion. Ramaswamy pointed out in an interview in Epic Times' Crossroads program, quoting Ramaswamy. And what those firms do is that they, sh- they show up in boardrooms of American companies and buying shares in those companies on behalf of everyday citizens. And they'll tell those company- then tell those companies that, hey, you have to adopt these social or environment- environmental agendas. And if you don't, we're going to fire you. We're going to dock your pay. We're going to kick you off your own company's board, he said. Such actions by these investment firms have forced companies to adopt agendas that not only make these businesses less successful, but also suck the lifeblood out of the American democracy, he added. Topics like climate change and systemic racism are questions that must be addressed through free speech and open debate in civic spheres rather than forcing them through America's corporate boardrooms, Ramaswamy insisted. I would agree with that, but you see that in the cancel culture and the deplatforming of people through uh, Twitter and YouTube. Heck, every single time that we post our show up on YouTube, I'd say eight times out of 10, it gets dinged and kicked off for some reason that we have to go through and have to figure out what supposed violation that we uh, that we made, edit that out and see if we can get it reposted because they don't specify exactly what type of your quote unquote community standards that you violated. Back to the article. The entrepreneur also highlighted the ample ties between the investment firms in the ESG, pushing ESG and the Biden administration. The Treasury Department, the Economic Council of Economic Advisors, and the President's Vice President's Office are all, quote, chock full of BlackRock alumni, he said, adding that this is a two-way street of crony capitalism. The industry most damaged in America from the ESG movement is energy, Ramaswamy said. 
accumulating the capital of everyday citizens. Investment firms have told American oil companies to produce less energy, drill for, for less oil, and frack for less natural gas. This has created a generational energy crisis in which the country is now suffering from energy shortages, higher gas prices, and less successful domestic energy companies. Ramaswamy also criticized the double standards of the pro-ESG investment firms. These firms not only impose ESG constraints on Western companies, but don't say a peep about to them about them to Chinese companies. And we'll get into that reason why that is here in a second. As a result of Western companies like Chevron or Exxon were made to drop projects to conform to the emissions cap or climate goals, Chinese companies like PetroChina end up picking up these projects. Despite the companies being far dirtier than their American counterparts, BlackRock remains silent on China as they have numerous financial interests in the country. The Chinese Communist Party will not grant BlackRock the license to do business in the country if they were to impose the same ESG standards on Chinese companies as they do on American ones, Ramaswamy said. Hence, the idea that free market exists is a, quote, myth. Governments on both sides of the Pacific are using BlackRock to advance their interests with the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and, quote, prevailing liberal government in the United States, close quote, pushing their own agendas. BlackRock has therefore become a, quote, political pawn, close quote, that is pretending to be an asset manager, he said. So this is, uh, and, and this is absolutely going on. Uh, it, it is um, a, a horrible development and we want to get in, we'll, we'll lead right in here uh, with Representative uh, Bill Owen from the 131st District here in Missouri, uh, here now. So we can splice in his interview here at this point. And then let's close with this. soon as I find it. Okay, so, well, that's a wealth of information from Representative Owen. Uh, really appreciate him being here on Freedom's Call, and, and hopefully you've learned a lot from that. I did, uh, I alluded to this in the, in, the, in the opening in reading the Epic Times article uh, from uh, uh, the interview with uh, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, co-founder of Strive. I, I mentioned the the association with the Chinese Communist Party because if 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 this if these uh, ESG standards were applied globally equally, then the, then BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street would not be investing one penny in any Chinese industry. But yet they turn a blind eye to that because. They have they're so heavily invested there, and that would bring financial pain to their companies. So this is really ultimately about um, going to more uh, to to globalization and penalizing su successful, mainly Western companies, and in 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 redistributing you know assets and funding and you know, the, you know, the, the results of, of our prosperity primarily to these other, to these other companies. So this is just a, this is something that is, is just designed to, to defeat and further weaken the United States. And we're already having our own administration and weaken us to a point to where it's almost, um, I mean, it's almost, well, it is untenable at this point, but I did want to, you know, put, put the connection back here with how, how China and how this is being pushed. And this is actually 
ESG has been pushed by the World Economic Forum, and which just like the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum is a proxy for the Chinese Communist Party. And the the World Economic Forum is, is headed by very appropriately named uh, individual by the name of Klaus Schwab. Uh, and so that I, I can't really think of anybody, uh, any, anyone named more appropriately for heading this, uh, uh, this, this totalitarian organization. So let's just let, just to let you know where the World Economic Forum's head, uh, head is, um, you know, here's a couple quotes from leaders in the WEF. And this first one comes from an, an Israeli history professor and right-hand man to Klaus Schwab named Yuval Harari. And he said, this is relating back to the Wuhan virus. He said of the Wuhan virus, quote, COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. We need to not just monitor people. We need to monitor what's happening under their skin. Harari continued, in the coming decades, artificial intelligence and biotechnology will give us godlike abilities to re-engineer life and even to, even to create completely new life forms. Okay, first, what is really strikes me there, this is an Israeli history professor. I would assume that this Israeli history professor, Yuval Harari, would understand what happened in the 1930s and 40s whenever six of the nine million Jews on the face of the earth were exterminated by, by, by the Nazi party, by Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party. I would assume that that would make him a little bit, make uh, him a little bit guarded against granting so much power and authority uh, in engineering to um, to to any other any type of government entity and, and centralizing that power, but that seems to be a lesson that is lost on uh, Professor Harari, uh, Harari, and he's basically just saying the same thing that the Nazi said, except he's doing it in a more high tech with with more uh, uh, in a more high tech fashion. Just unbelievable. Um, there's another back in 2016 at the WEF conference, Danish parliament, parliament member uh, Ida Alken said, quote, welcome to 2030. I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. Okay. These are the people who are behind this ESG movement, pushing this ESG movement, I mean, pushing for global governance. Push, pushing for a for a world uh, 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 an, an equal pay equal compensation uh, for everyone on the globe and so that that's punishing you know countries like like the United States like Germany like France like England and further further weakening us and empowering the Chinese and and this, and like I said this, these are proxy organizations of the Chinese Communist Party so these are really the stakes that we're playing with here right now, and and this is this is this is what we're up against. And so, um, hopefully, um, you know, we'll we'll post we'll post some more information up on our um, up on uh, freedomscall.net, up on our webpage, and also share on our Facebook page. 
for some further study and further reading. But this is something that, and we'll have Representative Owen back again uh, to to keep us updated on this because you just sit here and think about what he what he said is that in Australia, if if this continues to go as they plan, 2025, if I go and buy my Acura TLX fuel uh, internal combustion engine car, then if I was in Australia and I would go to the bank, say, hey, I want to, I need, I need to, I need to finance, I need some money to finance this this car, purchase this car, I wouldn't be able to get it. Just just think about, just think about how how much that would completely, I mean, that would completely destroy, and that will destroy the Australian economy if they go that way. But you just think about how much pain that would cause here in the United States. And that is why, again, a, a, another reason why, another example why, the, the free market and consumers need to determine what is produced in an economy and reward the people who can produce and, and provide the services that meet the consumer's needs the most effectively uh, and, you know, cause, cause the, and, and not punish the other companies that can't, but just through competitiveness, they're going to have to figure out how to do it better and, and provide better products and services. And that's how our economy advances. And we don't care the, the color or the religion or the sex of the, of the people who, uh, in the, you know, who actually who make our cars, who make the, um, this microphone, who make our lighting systems, whatever, our computers. We just want it. Does the product work? Does it do what I need it to do? And so th those are that's that's the the freedom and the liberty of the free market as opposed to the heavy hand of government and these government agencies and these uh, organizations like the WEF that will say, okay, well, if you're going to make this computer, you're going to make this laptop, then you have to have X number of these people, X number of these people, and it has to be produced using this type of energy resources and these type of materials and all that. You know, that, that command and control economy those have failed every single time they're tried every time. And so this is really something we have to, we have to guard against. So um, please hope you can take advantage of the resources we're going to have up on our social sites and up on our, on, on our uh, website uh, to have provide you some little bit further reading because uh, this, this stuff is coming. And if we don't fight back and if we don't push back and make it uncomfortable and make it untenable for these companies to pursue these, um, you know these types of policies, uh, then we're we're gonna we're gonna be in a world of hurt. It's it's going to end up penalizing us. So anyway, thank you for uh, joining us on another episode here of Freedom's Call. Uh, I'm your host Brett Sterling. Please uh, join us again here next week, and we'll have another action-packed uh, episode here for you to uh, digest. Thanks a lot, everybody. God bless.